Welcome to the Wake Up Call podcast. I'm your host, Alicia Hopkins, life coach, recovering perfectionist, crazy animal lover, and your go-to friend for all things wellness. If you're the type of woman who constantly feels burned out, overwhelmed, and like you have zero time for yourself, then this is the show for you. I'll show you that it is completely possible to live a life you look forward to every single day by learning simple, actionable steps to start putting yourself first. Burnout and overwhelm are not welcome here, but a little bit of crazy sure is. So if you're ready for your wake up call with a girl who's not afraid to drop an F-bomb every now and then, let's dive in. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the wake up call podcast. You know, I have come to realize how critically important it is for us to take good care, like really, really good care of our mind, body, spirit, soul, all of it, right? Because without tuning into our body's personal capacity, we run the risk of burnout. And something that I think is preventing us from taking really good care of ourselves is this desire for productivity, right? And it's pervasive, right? It is. It touches every area of our life. I know for many of us, it shows up pretty strongly in the workplace, right? Feeling like we have to always be on, responding, doing, producing. And in my opinion, this pressure for productivity is robbing us of peace of mind. It's robbing us of our well-being, right? We are we are operating in a place of pushing our body to the limits, and then we're so damn exhausted that we crash, right? And sadly enough, this isn't just reserved for the workplace. I think this is carrying over in all areas of our life, right? Who can relate to Saturday morning, you know, brew your first cup of coffee and you're taking in the moment and it's so nice. And then after like five seconds, you instantly jump to your to-do list, right? You're robbed of that moment of relaxing and just having a slow morning day. My goodness. My point in saying this is, This drive for productivity is showing up in our lives and it's almost like there's no escape from it. And when we are operating like this, we are overlooking the fact that our body only has the capacity for so much. We cannot just be on 100% full bore all the time. It's just not natural. And my guest today, Jessica Lackey, we have a conversation about recognizing, you know, the seasons and cycles of our lives that are actually were designed to go through, right? We aren't meant to just be on or depleted, right? There's seasons that take place, but when we are driven by the fear that is often prompting us to be in productivity mode 24/7, we become disconnected to what our body, what our personal capacity really is. So my guest, Jessica Lackey, she's a feminist strategy and operations coach and consultant. She works with soul-centered entrepreneurs and small businesses. She is someone who I really admire the perspective she brings forward. I've been a fan of her content for a long time. And I think that she just gets us to start thinking about the ways we view the world and you know, commonly held as it's just the way it is. She's helping us to look and question and push back and say, well, maybe that's how it's been, but is that how it really should be? So guys, I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Man, I am so excited to pick the brain of Jessica Lackey. You have no idea. And I think that the reason I feel like she is such an important person to have this conversation with 
I have been watching Jessica for a while on her social media, her, you know, newsletters that she sends out and she's a disruptor and she's a disruptor in the fact that she's bringing thoughts that maybe we haven't been ordinarily trained to see, to be aware of. And what we're going to dive in today is this notion around productivity, like how we all expect our bodies, our minds to show up full force, a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. And when we're doing this, we're really overlooking a crucial component which is our body, the fact that we have cycles and rhythms that we we operate in, yet we're moving through our days, forcing ourselves to operate and quite honestly, going against the grain. So what I wanna dive into today with Jessica is understanding a little bit more about like, where are some of these messages coming from? How can we disrupt this pressure that we're putting on in our own lives? So Jessica, welcome to the Wake Up Call podcast. I'm so glad you're here. How's it going this morning? It's great. I'm so excited to be here too. Ah, well, and Jessica's a return guest in case you don't recognize her. So we're going to have her former, uh, her earlier episode we recorded linked in the show notes. But Jessica, I'm really curious and can't wait for you to expand on this, this notion of productivity and like why, you know, I did actually an Instagram um, poll before our recording. And there's a lot of people that identify and relate to this drive to feel productive all the time. I'm curious has this resonated with you? Like, where does this come from? Yes, it resonates with me so much. As I've been getting into this work that we're we're talking about, I'm realizing and learning from other much more wise women, how far back this conditioning about kind of being productive goes. I used to think it was, okay, well, the internet has happened. So we now feel like we need to do more, um, which is true. But then you know, this concept of always having to be productive, you know, dates back to assembly line manufacturing with Henry Ford and how do we become efficient and productized? And that was actually my job when I was in um, undergrad, I did industrial engineering and we're taught how to make our movements efficient and make the movements of people on an assembly line efficient for profit. But then you start peeling back the onion even further and, you know, you start to see that, in religious literature, the Protestant work ethic has been talked about since, you know, the 1700s, 1600s, 1700s. And you start to realize that this content, this notion of having to be productive, having to work hard for kind of the results. And you see it with our government too, about like policies about like care and rest aren't necessarily um, embedded in like government systems. And you're like, oh, wait, this isn't just a me problem. This is embedded in my work. It's embedded in my government. It's potentially embedded in my religion. And then you start to say, oh, wow, this is the soup that we've been living in for two centuries, three centuries. And I haven't gone back farther than that, but that's the, that's kind of the things I'm learning about how deeply embedded this like concept of productivity is. And it's interesting because then what I take away from that is, is that basically this message really is surrounding us in all aspects of our life, professional, personal, religion. So it's kind of hard to poke holes in something that you don't even have the opportunity to question or see something different. But I do feel like what's happening is more and more of us are suffering with anxiety, depression. Like I feel like our bodies are giving out on us and that, you know, we are starting to have, you know, disruptors like you and people bringing this thought of there is a different way. And I feel like this leads us into, you know, I've talked with you before about seasons and cycles, rhythms, 
you know, we recognize it in seasons that take place in nature, but yet we don't necessarily see it in ourselves. Could you expand upon this idea of different seasons that take place, like just within our own being? Yeah, you pointed out perfectly is that our bodies are giving out on us. We're starting to have much more chronic illness. We're starting to be physically exhausted all the time. You know, our bodies are saying, no, we can't handle the pace that modern society is throwing at us. Like we're not meant to be working all the time. And I think this is where this concept of seasonality and cyclicality comes in. If we go back to farming days, we rose with the sun. We worked when it was time to work related to planting. We harvested when it was time to harvest. And then we went to bed when the sun went down. And so during the winter season, there wasn't planting to do. There was probably, you know, farming chores to do, but there wasn't like the, the heavy burst of seeding. There wasn't the heavy burst of harvest. There was time for rest. There were, you know, conditional, there were festivals that were, you know, ceremonies that the whole village went to and things like that. And those natural rhythms are part of our lives. We've got the circadian rhythms of our daily life. We've got the lunar cycles of you know, how the moon works in every 28 days we've got for women um, or those with um, that are, are menstruating, we've got our menstrual cycles, you know, we've got the seasons of the year and all of these, and we've got the seasons of our life. Think about the going from kind of the maiden to the matriarch, to the elder, to the crone. These are all stages of the life cycle. And for us to say, no, no, we're going to work a hundred percent at all times across all seasons no matter the stage of our life is discounting every bit of what's natural in our history and in our lives. We were never designed to be on a hundred percent of the time or even particularly relatively consistently. And I think that's the, when you think about all the cycles that really are embedded in us, in our lives, you know, no wonder we are exhausted when we push through a hundred percent of the time. It's interesting. The more I, I really call it like just getting back to basics. Like the more I have, I don't know if it's right to say like simplified my life or just dialed back this pushing, forcing and have really started to tune in and like become in partnership with my body versus like expecting it to always deliver what, what I tell it to do. I notice that the, maybe the guilt or the, you know, feeling badly about myself for not producing all the time is going down because when I do show up my quality of work or the quality of, if it's even just, you know, showing up in relationships, like my connection is deeper because there's more, I have more reserves, I guess, right. As I start to honor, you know, this cyclicality, if that's a word of, of what my body needs, like there's times I'm meant to be full of energy. There's times I'm not like, and it's learning to honor this. And I'm curious of, you know, the work you do, you know, you work a lot with entrepreneurs, but obviously you've had your own experiences with burnout and things like that. How do we start stepping in? Like someone might be hearing this and they're, they're riddled with guilt if they're not productive, right? It's like Saturday morning, they wake up and they're instantly tackling their to-do list. Like how do we start the tuning in and looking inward to even identify with what cycles or seasonality might mean within our own being? Yeah, so I think there's two parts of this. One is the tactical, how do you start to notice? But the other one, which I think is more interesting, which we'll get back to the tactics, but it's asking some questions 
that I had never asked. And so my key, my, one of my teachers, Kelly Deals, asks this question of who gets off the hook? And so it's really about toggling up to a higher order question of like, okay, I feel personally, I feel like I'm personally failing when I can't get it all done at work. Okay, well, who really gets off the hook for me internalizing that personally? My bosses who didn't staff projects appropriately, the CEOs who are in constant need of perpetual profit, which means that we never get a quarter of rest. I'm internalizing and making it a personal failing that I can't get it done all done when the structure is not set up for me to get it all done. And so if I take this onto myself, I'm letting them off the hook. If I don't push back and say, no, I'm doing two people's jobs and I'm going to do what's super important and urgent and moves things forward. And I'm not going to do all the busy work nonsense that you're asking me to do. If I don't say that, they get off the hook. So I think this is a, a powerful question to notice about when we're sacrificing our bodies in the spirit of kind of traditional productivity gospel, who wins? And it's the government who doesn't necessarily prioritize care and we don't prioritize care um, and have kind of like stripped down the family structures. It's the, honestly, it's productivity geeks who make money on our guilt. I, I say that with love, knowing that I'm a coach that works with productivity, but like we're meant to feel bad when we can't be perfect because feeling bad and having guilt means we're going to spend more money on things. So true. You know, what really started showing up for me is, you know, I have worked in corporate America for all of my career. Um, and I have noticed, I have this so much fear and this, this view around power and control, meaning like it's been, it's only been in recent history that I've felt comfortable putting my phone on silent after working hours or not even checking, right? Like waking up in the morning and not checking my work phone right away. Like I've started carving out hours that it's like, no, I'm, I'm not working right now. But I think a lot of us struggle with that because we start feeling fear around, like, I have to do my job perfectly. It pays me. Like, I, like, I think we get so caught up in the fear cycle around money. And this has, it's, it's, we allow our jobs to dictate what we should be doing rather than like our own organic human self. Yeah. And that's by design. The more they, you fear like losing the job, losing the leverage, losing the money, um, the more it plays into this like kind of oppressive, obedient kind of self that we're desired to do. And we're thinking about it. It goes back to school. You know, what we're conditioned for in school is to get the answers right on the test because we get the answers right on the test and we can go to college and then we're guaranteed a middle-class lifestyle, right? So there's a lot of fear that's embedded into us about like kind of playing by the rules when we're, when we're, when we're kids and we're children. And also the construct of work is we're going to make you work so much that you're not going to have time for community and bonds and those natural rhythms so that you don't have anything to fall back on. So you are tied to this job because you're tied to the work tribe as it were, because if you don't have anything else, you know, in your life, you're going to cling to that work tribe. It's designed as like, you know, Google and Facebook, they're like, Oh, you, we have like ping pong tables and we have nap stations and dinner. And it's like, yeah, well, if you strip everything else out of my life, I only have work and then I'm terrified to lose it. We're biologically wired for connection and for community and for feeling like we belong. And so when we work too much and when we are too productive, 
we strip our lives of the relationships, the community, the support systems that actually allow us to take a step back from the work life. I, I don't know if you're seeing it on LinkedIn uh, right now, there's like a rash of layoffs going on in the tech sphere and the people that are posting who have been tending to network, been tending to their communities, have relationships because they've taken some time away from like their employer, what they're telling them to do and rebuilt those relationships are finding that they can hop back on their feet faster because they've got a community around them. But we're kind of conditioned out of having that community and into substituting work as our family. And therefore, you know, we don't want to get, we don't want to get tossed out of our family. I don't know. I apologize. That's like a trigger, a triggering thing for people, but we don't want to get tossed out of the tribe. So of course we're going to like work to not rock the boat because if that's our eggs are all in one basket, you know, we, we, we have a lot more to lose. This is the type of stuff that makes my head explode. When I think about like, it blows my mind to think that these structures you know, have been orchestrated to make us feel a certain kind of way. And I, I say this to say that, you know, not for someone necessarily like to go down the rabbit hole of all these conspiracy theories, but it's, I want you to hear these thoughts because I think it is appropriate and it's necessary for us to push back on these narratives of thinking that someone has control over us other than ourselves. Like, quite frankly, the only one that controls me is God. As far as I look at it, like other than that, my job should not control me. Guilt should not control me. And I think it's good to have thoughts introduced to us that make that shake us up and think differently because from there, you figure out how do you start pushing back in your own like world, your own sphere of, and starting to regain little bits of control. So, you know, going back to maybe some tactical things like, you know, someone out there listening, riddled with fear, afraid that if they don't answer the emails at eight o'clock at night and six 30 in the morning, like they feel like they have to be on all the time. Like what might be some tactical things or suggestions you would have for them to start taking back a little bit more of their control and ease that the fear barometer. I think there's, there's two things I would say. One is starting to change your communication mechanisms. And two is to start noticing what's going on in your body. And so let's talk about changing communication mechanisms. You know, there's two, starting from the edges in, um, can you start with not responding to emails? Even if you read them, not responding. The best way to get more emails is to send more emails. The best way to have more things to do is to be the first one to respond to things. Now, I say this all from like, if your company only wants to promote people who are highly responsive at all times, this is a choice that you now can make with eyes wide open of, do I want to rise in the ranks of a company that's going to take control of my entire existence? If that, that may mean that switching careers, that may mean switching companies, that may mean choosing not to progress in the hierarchy of your company because the norms that it sets are not for you. So I think we have to like, if this is something that your company requires, I promise there are companies that don't or there are teams that don't. So I think, you know, one is starting to relax the, you know, your responsiveness to people and then starting to just shut off, um, setting communication boundaries. If they need you and it's urgent and someone's going to die or lose a lot of money, tell them they can call you. Like set that boundary with your bosses and be like, hey, like I don't check my email after 6 p.m. and I don't, or maybe seven, and I don't check it before 8 a.m., if you need me, call me. Like we forget that like people can call you. So setting that like communication boundary of I'm still here, I'm still available, but I'm not going to be tethered to my phone. 
and that's okay. One of my, my, my productivity, uh, coach that I work with, he does this is he sets communication boundaries in his emails. If you need me and it's urgent, put urgent in the subject line. If it's not, I'll get back to you within 24 to 48 hours. And so we start normalizing and we see other people do this. We start to be like, Oh, like I can set up focus time. So setting communication boundaries, um, we're hiring a new person for one of my clients and we're giving him the instructions that all his questions get put into like, you know, one email at the end of the day. And we'll answer them the next day. That way he's not constantly pinging us. He's not constantly getting distracted. He's just making notes and we're going to answer them all at once. No one's going to die if we don't answer, you know, like, again, like doctors and lawyers and stuff. Like I, I totally get that, but no one's really going to die if we answer emails at the end of the day, instead of all through the day. So that's one is really setting these communication boundaries, starting small, but starting to incrementally ease back to like what feels good. And then the second is really noticing, noticing when you basic, when your body gives out during the day, I stopped, I, I can only do like three or four hours of focus work in the morning. And then I'm like, kind of like putzing around for the rest of the day. I notice and I track in a moon journal. Now it sounds so woo woo, but I do that. And I do that, that when's the new moon, when's the full moon, how does my body feel during those times? And then I think the third thing is just turning off inputs, going for a walk without your phone, being spending time not at your computer, spending time away from input and just being with your mind, you'll start to be able to listen and think about what are the voices in the head that are that is self and what are the voices in my head that are other. I think about that so much of our drive for responding, being on all the time, producing all the time, right? We can trace back to roots of fear. And I think that when we're triggered by something like fear, we go into a lot of reactionary, like you're just doing for the sake of doing, because you know, you're in fight or flight. And I love that you point out noticing because we can't break automatic or automated like responses in our life if we can't first see them. And I think that when we start noticing these cycles that are playing out, like I know for me, just to break it down into like, I noticed I could be in the middle of writing an email and then I hear the notification of the next email or I see the person who it came from and I immediately jump into that. And it's like, no, I, I can finish the original thing I'm working on and then respond to the next thing. And it's what comes up for me is, is how often I think we are adding a level of urgency to things that don't actually require urgency because we're responding from fear and feeling like we're on the defense of like, I got to hurry up and take care of this. Or, oh my God, I need to show up for this person. You know, and it's like, if we can start slowing things down and actually start getting connected back to ourselves, I think we calm our nervous system so that we can start discerning what's actual urgency versus perceived urgency. Yeah. Um, and I think this is, you know, gets to fear, but also gets to dopamine. Um, so in the book um, that I'll ask you to link in the show notes, it's called Stolen Focus um, by Johan Hari. And it's all about how, what's stealing our focus and nutrition and diet and lack of movement and lack of sleep, but also the dings and the notifications and the Slack chats and things like that. I've hijacked really like, yes, it actually, we get withdrawals of dopamine from, because we're used to getting all those conditions. So putting your phone on, do not disturb for an hour. Like it's like both like a fear thing, but also uh, like our body craves the stimulation because we're conditioning our body to be stimulated like that. You know, so it's hard to not only sit with the fear, but also sit with yourself. One fear thing I'll drop for the audience is it's funny. I'm watching two story of two things. I'm ha- watching layoffs happen 
to every, like, not to everybody, but like it's, it's irregardless of performance, right? Like I'm watching these tech layoffs happen and it's irregardless of performance. I'm seeing also that it's really hard to hire a top talent. And I think one of these interesting things as a hiring manager is, do you know how hard it is to let go a, a average performer? It's hard to let go of a bad performer. Like the amount of, as long as it's not like a layoff or like a corporate restructuring, which I get, but seems to happen to everybody. Like it's like kind of irregardless of performance. It's just like, it happens. Do you know how hard it is to get like, to, to let someone go who's an average, like doing their job? It's so hard. Like the amount of paperwork you have to file, the amount of like things you have to go through with HR to actually sever ways with a employee who is not performing to like, quote unquote, your standards. Again, like if you want to like rise to the ranks of your companies, again, ask the culture that you're willing to accept as part of that. But if all you want in life is to have a stable job where you learn and you grow and you invest in things in your community, it's incredibly hard to fire somebody. So I just want to like leave that for the audience of like, what happens? Are they going to fire me? No, they're not going to fire you. They're like really not going to fire you. It takes them six months. Have a conversation. And this is like our managers they don't actually want to have performance conversations with us because they don't know how to do it. It's so hard. So I don't know, like that may or may not be useful for your audience. But um, when I figured out that like, oh no, like I can stop doing these things and nothing's really going to happen. I might not get promoted, but also if getting promoted means I need to work, I need to give up everything in my life that actually provides me joy, then it's not a trade-off I'm willing to make. I think these are great insights because I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast struggle with people pleasing, perfectionism, being like known as the high achiever. And I think that often when you have these patterns, the inner critic can be so harsh and we're so critical of ourselves. And we, we transfer this into like our performance and our jobs. And I guarantee that most of us are doing far more than what is actually expected of us in our role. But we have such fear that we're like, oh my God, if I, if I don't do this like this, and, and I love the perspective you offer, because I know I have found this at various points in my career that I've literally had to say like, what is the worst case scenario? And like, kind of walk myself back from the ledge. And I think about even just offering like the reality, like the fact is to actually lay someone off is quite an effort by most, like most organizations, right? They have to demonstrate patterns of poor performance, this, that, the other. So I, I think it's really actually pretty cool what you, what you've introduced, because when we notice like that, the inner critic and like the fear-based thoughts really like chirping loudly, then it's kind of like, we start walking ourselves back and be like, okay, let's actually look at the reality of the situation and half the time, like, no, the majority of the time I'd even say like the, when we're being critical of ourselves, there's nothing even wrong. Like, it's just that we're so conditioned to think that we're doing something wrong. It's like, we're, we're making it yeah. up. Like we're, we're finding any excuse or any evidence that we're doing something wrong. And it's just not true. Yeah. And to kind of circle back to seasonality and cyclicality, when we are pushed to the brink a hundred percent of the time, when we are not rested, when we, that's when our, that, by the way, rest is when recovery happens. Like athletes don't train at a high level all year long. They can't, um, because our bodies, we are more ingenious when we're rested. We're more creative. We're more, productive when we're rested, although that's not the point, but you know, when we're in this, um, and you call it hypo hyper and hypo arousal, but when we're outside of our window of tolerance of like what we can kind of handle as human beings, when there's too much risk and too much quote unquote threat being thrown at us every day, we act out of fear because we don't have the inner reserves to kind of take a step back, breathe, 
regulate our nervous systems and respond from a place of response versus a place of reaction. And I think that's what honoring seasons and cycles do is that like, you know, we don't rest, therefore we're always on the edge and we are always kind of running dry uh, in our buckets. You know, think about a, a leaky bucket, like the bucket's always dripping and, but we're not filling it back up. So we're always kind of like scraping the bottom of the bucket from an energetic perspective. Um, and I think that's where it's, it's kind of tapping into, no, like we were never designed to be running hundred percent throttle all the time. It keeps us in that fear inner critic space because when you're exhausted, you react like that because we just don't have, we're already pushed to the brink. To me, I feel like what the seasons that many of us are operating on right now are like falls out, like fry myself and then pure exhaust, like it's feast or famine, right? It's like push, push, push. Then I'm so depleted. So someone listening to this, that's like, okay, whatever seasons and cycles in your body. But I think until you actually start pulling back to get closer to a state of equilibrium, you have a hard time understanding and noticing and feeling it in your body until you've even given your body a chance to recover. And, and I'm curious, you know, because we've been talking a lot about this in the context of the workplace. What I see happen too, is a lot of us were carrying this same idea about pushing ourselves to the brink. And then we're transferring it even into our personal lives so that like, right. It's even on the weekend, we're driven by these to do, to do lists and tasks. It's like, there's no escape from it. We have this like compulsion to produce all the time. So how do we start recovering that? Like from our personal life? I talk a lot about books, but I'm reading this fascinating book by Oliver Berkman about 4,000. It's called 4,000 weeks time management for mortals. And it really talks about the idea that we're never going to do it all, but, and actually trying to do it all is a recipe for not doing it all. So in order to not have the fear of missing out, we have to step into the joy of missing out. And we have to um, recognize that we are not going to be, have a perfectly clean house and perfectly dressed and coiffed kids and a perfect physique. And a per- we just can't have all perfect take these trips and do all the, we just can't. So part of it's actually being incredibly intentional and having, and really being like joy. And I am stepping with intention to the things that I have the capacity to take on. And I'm actively choosing to invest versus being stretched because, you know, we're being, and I think that's where it's like limiting some inputs, maybe taking time off social media to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses pick different Joneses and start to be in communities with other people who are embracing the slower life um, instead of being in constantly in communities that are like, no, no, we're always hustling. We're always, we're always, we're trying to hack our lives and choose with intention, the things that you care about, the things that bring you joy and invest in those deeply and be conscious of who and how you surround yourself with inputs and people. Right now I'm in a season of training for an endurance event, which is a lot of stress on my body, which means that I don't get to do a lot of travel and I'm not socializing with friends super late on certain nights because like, I just physically can't handle it. So I'm in a season. Um, but also after that endurance thing is done, I'm going to do a season of yoga and movements and walks and talk with friends because like trying to stay sustained at a high level of output all year is a recipe for injury. Oh my gosh. These, I think what perfect like nuggets to leave us with is this realization that we are never going to do it all. 
And until we start getting comfortable with that fact, I think we are still remaining on the one way ticket to anxiety, depression, burnout. And I also think I love different Joneses, right? We're so damn consumed with keeping up. We'll pick the people you want to keep up with that are actually living the lifestyle that you want. And like that feels right for you. Not that you're driven to because of fear, Jessica, you've given us so many nuggets. We're going to link all the resources you've mentioned, but tell us a little bit more about what you do. You're an entrepreneur. If people want to connect with you, how do we find you? I'd love to, I'd love for you to share with the listeners a bit more about you. Yeah. So I'm a, um, I call myself a soul centered business and operations coach and consultant for small businesses and frankly, for individuals who are like, I love you and I don't want to have a business. And I'm like, I'll work with you too. So I help um, us get out of the grind and grow without the grind by building rooted lives and businesses. So we have more ease, energy, and earnings. So we can have the the time, freedom, money, and impact we want that's sustainable. I work with um, people in one-on-one coaching, uh, consulting engagements to help them navigate through times in their um, business growth trajectory that are challenging where we need to rethink our soul, our strategy, our systems, and our success metrics so that we grow sustainably. Um, I'm launching this fall a uh, program where it's geared more towards entrepreneurs truly in the post side hustle, post startup phase that are in the messy middle of after the first burst has happened, how do we sustainably root in and grow our next 100K? Because I feel like most business platforms are really focused on scale and linear growth. And I'm focused on the cyclicality and seasonality of the fact that at every stage we have to grow roots to continue growing our tree. And so we have to normalize that there's not constant obvious progress, but that it's, we're, you know, continuing to set the foundation of our business. So that's coming in the fall. So I'm super excited about that. Amazing. You know, I firmly believe that it's really important to feed your brain with good quality brain food, right? And for me, what that has looked like is surrounding myself with thoughts or ideas that maybe don't ordinarily cross my path. You have been one of these people that through consuming your social and your newsletters, you're introducing me to concepts or thoughts or just that make me go, huh, yeah, that like shakes me up and looks helps me to look at things differently. And I really appreciate the content. So anyone out there, regardless of if you're an entrepreneur or not, the concepts that you are bringing to light, I think are so vitally important for all things, body, mind, spirit, soul, career, life, right? So thank you as always for, for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And guys, I really appreciate you connecting on this episode of the Wake Up Call podcast. And I can't wait to talk with you again soon. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Wake Up Call podcast. If you liked what you heard today, I would love for you to subscribe and leave a review. It takes just a few minutes and does wonders for helping other people find the podcast. If you want to connect outside of the podcast, you can do so by following at Alicia D. Hopkins on Instagram. And if you really liked the episode you just listened to, do me a favor. Would you screenshot the episode and tag me? I would love to see what's resonating with you. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope today's episode helped you to see that you can wake up to the change that's possible in your life.